This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward. Welcome to the Legislature Today. I'm Chris Schultz. Today was the final day to introduce bills in the Senate. Other than a few budget items, any bill that will become law is now in the pipeline. A wide range of bills on third reading in the House of Delegates today included a change in oil and gas property taxes, the sale of raw milk, and changing the title of the curator of the Department of Arts, Culture, and History. Randy Yoey has more. House Bill 4850 would remove the sunset clause from oil and gas personal property tax. The proposal comes after the Supreme Court determined each oil and gas well is an individual asset and should be taxed accordingly. Delegate David Kelly, a Republican from Tyler County, opposed lifting the sunset clause by pointing out a major oil and gas tax error made by the state. We're faced in Tyler County with a $15.8 million uh, error made by the state tax department. Let me stress that to you again. It was not made by the local assessor. It was not made by the county commissions. This error was from the state tax department, and it includes all the oil and gas counties in the state. And so what we have before us, ladies and gentlemen, is this is a time frame. In March of 2023, they knew they had made a mistake, yet nothing was done. But the House Finance Committee chair said if the bill failed, West Virginia counties could receive zero revenue in the near future. The bill passed 71 to 25 and goes to the Senate. House Bill 4911 relates to the sale of raw milk. Their proposal would remove the restriction that raw milk can only be purchased through an agreement with a dairy farmer. Delegate Amy Summers, a Republican from Taylor County, was among the majority in the chamber for the expanded freedom to buy and sell raw milk. My parents and grandparents are rolling over in their graves. They've been farming in West Virginia since the 1700s, and they would not believe that we think you can't, you wouldn't have the choice if you wanted to drink raw milk or not. No one's shoving it down your throat. You don't have to drink it, just if you want to drink it. We're going to give you the freedom to do that. we got a freedom bill before us, finally. The debate on the bill centered on a paragraph, noting that a person who sells raw milk shall be immune from a lawsuit and liability relating to an actual or alleged act, error, or omission that occurred. Delegate Joey Garcia, a Democrat from Marion County, was one of several attorneys in the chamber, questioning the raw milk immunity clause. They, you know, you have to put the date of the, when the raw milk was produced, I guess, on the label, right? Yes, sir. If they make a mistake, put the wrong labels on, and then somebody drinks it and they get sick, based on the immunity in here, there is no recourse whatsoever. I mean, if somebody, probably wouldn't happen very often, but somebody dies, there's no recourse. They have full immunity, correct? 
The bill's sponsor noted it's not a blanket immunity. It protects against accidents, not misconduct. The raw milk bill passed 76 to 19 and goes to the Senate. And Senate Bill 790 would change the reference of the state curator of the Department of Arts, Culture, and History to Cabinet Secretary. House Finance Committee Chair Vernon Chris, a Republican from Wood County, was one of many who praised the 19-year tenure of curator Randall Reed Smith. The curator can take a buck and go further than anybody else in this government by far. I appreciate that. And if there's money to be returned, he tells me so. He's that good. He's given me a new appreciation for the history of the state of West Virginia. For a lot of you that are not in, in my age group, as you grow older, you grow to a, a more of an appreciation of the history of our state. He is able to convey that in the simplest terms so people can enjoy the history of our state. The bill passed 94 to 2 and goes to the governor for his signature. West Virginia Public Broadcasting is a part of the Department of Arts, Culture and History. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. The Senate passed 10 bills today on third reading on topics ranging from creating a state Alzheimer's task force to the A. James Mansion Environmental Action Plan. Brianna Heaney has more. The majority of the bills passed in the Senate today were House bills. Four of seven House bills were passed without any changes. Those bills now head to the governor's desk to be considered and possibly be passed into law. House Bill 5006 will eliminate antiquated recycling goals and set new criteria for evaluating the state's success in achieving recycling goals. House Bill 5261 expands a tax exemption for portable firearms. The bill included receiver frames, a part of a gun, as part of that tax exemption. House Bill 5267 and House Bill 5273 change retirement calculations and posthumous benefits for law enforcement officers and emergency medical workers. This year, there have been two bills in the Senate and House that make changes to the Legislative Auditor's Office. It's a part of the legislative body that looks into state organizations or organizations that receive state funding and then reports back to the legislature. That information can assist the legislature in policymaking and to hold the state government accountable to the taxpayers. The office has historically been a somewhat independent body of the legislature. Senate Bill 687 changes who the legislative auditor reports to, from the legislature broadly to the Joint Committee on Government and Finance. It also defines the investigation powers of the office. That bill passed the Senate and heads to the House. The bill had eight nay votes panning across party lines. Many opposed to the bill, like Bill Hamilton, a Republican from Upshur County, cite issues of transparency and conflicts of interest. Because the speakers and the president of the Senate, they change at different times. And, you know, you may have somebody that's partial to one industry or partial to one group and says, well, I don't want this to go any go forward. I'm not saying that our current speaker or president would do that, you know, but you, you don't know who's coming behind. Lead sponsor of the bill, Jack Woodrum, a Republican from Summers County, says the bill only changes things to be in line with current law. He says transparency would not be affected. 
For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston. A group that spends a lot of time at the legislature campaigning for Second Amendment issues was back at the legislature again today. Bob Brunner spoke to a representative to find out what they were working on now. They gathered at 8 a.m. Then they dispersed to find and talk to their legislators from their hometowns about various pieces of legislation. In the last 10 years, the Citizens Defense League claims 30 bills have passed the legislature, making West Virginia one of the most gun-friendly states in the nation, if not number one. We've had preemption bills to sort of stop localities from infringing on the right to keep and bear arms, uh, to make it so that we had one law for one state. That was our initial bill that got us off the ground. From there, there's about 30 pieces of legislation. Uh, probably our biggest one at the early stages was uh, constitutional carry, removing the necessity for the permit to concealed carry. Uh, last year, campus carry, and this year here with another bill to uh, sec protect Second Amendment businesses. Groups like the Girl Scouts are here almost every day, and legislators expect to get little handouts like cookies and a mention or two of their issues. But the Citizens Defense Group is spread out around the legislature. They say there's a couple hundred of them here and they're all talking to their lawmakers individually. This year, the focus is on a Senate bill not to allow municipalities to more heavily regulate businesses that sell guns than they do other businesses. For the legislature today, I'm Bob Brunner reporting. Another bill the group identified that they are interested in seeing move forward would allow people to carry guns inside the state capitol. The Legislative Auditor is a department under the legislature tasked with auditing offices under the executive branch. There is a bill making its way through the legislature that some say will defang the work, while others say the bill strengthens it. Randy Yowie spoke with Speaker of the House Roger Hanshaw, a Republican from Clay County, and Delegate Mike Pushkin of Kanawha County, who is also the Democratic Party chairman. Thanks, Chris. Now let's start out by noting that the Legislative Auditor's Office is not the same as the State Auditor, two different entities. And today, as, as Brianna Heaney mentioned, the Senate has passed on third reading Senate Bill 687, which clarifies the Legislative Auditor's scope of authority. So two experts on that subject that I have with me today are House Speaker Roger Hanshaw and, and Delegate Mike Pushkin. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. Yes, sir. Thanks for having us on. Uh, Mr. Speaker, let me start with you. Just briefly explain what the Legislative Auditor's Office does, who they report to, and what your bill does to change things. Sure, Randy. Well, to start, it's not our bill, it's a Senate bill, as you just said, but the Legislative Auditor's Office is an entity that exists as a, as a creation of statute here, as you, as you say, but it, it exists to inform the legislature about just exactly what's going on in the primarily the executive branch of government. So how well is the executive branch conforming to the statutory expectations of the programs that the legislature has created? How are state funds being utilized? What are things that could be done that would make programs more effective? What are things we as the legislature could do to effectuate the goals of programs better? And it usually it usually presents itself in the form of, of reports back to the Joint Committee on Government and Finance okay. and the Committee on Post Audits, which we then take as, as recommendations for potential action. So we're not it's not just the governor's office, but all the agencies, all the different agencies that that are to be kept an eye on. All if you across will. the executive branch. Okay. Now you have a bill, a, a, a 
companion bill in the House. What changes does that make? So what what brought about the the, the bill at all was the, the the transition that we had when our our incumbent long term legislative auditor and legislative manager Aaron Allred retired from state government back in December. So Mr. Allred had been serving in two positions at once. He had been serving as both the legislative auditor and what we call the legislative manager, which for for a number of years had been two separate positions. Aaron Aaron filled them together and brought them into a, a to, to a unified command structure down in that office. So when when he no longer was in the position, we took the opportunity to ask, does the current structure actually best reflect the practices that we want to see the uh, the legislative auditor's office perform and and how best can we how best can we transition that office to meet sort of our 21st century strategy for operation. Delegate Pushkin, you yes. have some concerns here. You put out a, you and the, and the Democrats of West Virginia put out a press release last week that said some of these changes will turn this office from a watchdog to a lapdog. Yeah. Uh, what do you, what do you okay. base well, that on? First of all, I have the utmost respect for Speaker Hanshaw. I've had the honor of serving uh, with Speaker Hanshaw, and I know that uh, he's an honest guy, and I would never question his motives or his intentions. I believe he's doing what he the best he can to uh, help improve the lives of the people of West Virginia. Um, however, I believe this bill could set a very dangerous precedent when we remove any sort of semblance of, of independence from the legislative auditor's office and put that completely in code under the purview of, of the Speaker and the President of the Senate. Of course, there's no involvement of the either minority leader. Um, I fear that, that a less scrupulous Speaker or Senate President could would have the power to weaponize this office. And while I, this is the way that the office has operated under, under the set of guidelines it has now for, I believe, over 30 years, I'm not exactly sure what the problem is that we're trying to address. So I, I fear that it's not just about investigations that aren't happening. I fear that it's also been about investigations that, that have happened that could now be curtailed. Is this, is this top-heavy when it comes to the Speaker and the President of the Senate uh, on decision-making powers with the Auditor's Office? Well, so the, 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 the structure of that, Randy, is that during sittings or between sittings of the Joint Committee on Government and Finance, under our current structure of law here in West Virginia, this, the Senate President and the House Speaker exercise that authority between meetings of the Joint Committee on Government and Finance. So in, in practice, that's actually how the office is implemented and operated now. I, I don't perceive it to be actually much of, a, much of a change so much as a reflection of current practice. I, I know the speaker sent out a note through his staff last week, Delegate Pushkin, that said the, that his, his uh, proposal adds power, some might call it fangs, to the authority of the auditor to inspect property, equipment, facilities, and records of any person, any office in state government, uh, by any means necessary. Uh, do you take issue with that in any regard? I think it removes a lot of the power. In fact, it replaces the word power, uh, replaces the word duty. It, it removes the duties of that office. And then it's granted power uh, through the leadership of the House, the Speaker's office, and, and the Senate president. You know, I, I look at what some of the investigations that have happened in the past through the independent uh, office of the legislative auditor. And, for example, we were both unfortunately here during during the impeachment of, of, uh, of the Supreme Court. Um, when the news story started to break about uh, extravagant spending on the part mainly of, of at the time uh, Chief Justice Lawfrey, uh, I was the first to put out a to um, introduce the, uh, the resolution to, to 
start the articles of, uh, of impeachment. At the time, at the time, the Senate president responded to that, saying it was the single most ridiculous political stunt he's ever heard of. That didn't age well. Under, this cur- under the law that's being proposed, that would give the speaker the power to possibly cur- curtail that type of investigation. If that was his response to it at the time, that it was just a political stunt, then if, if, this was, if, if what's being proposed now was the law then, then Lawfrey might still be on the, on the bench. I think you don't want to lose sight, though, Randy, of, of the fact that even though the legislative auditor's office certainly did play a role in building the case that eventually led to that impeachment, it, it was actually our House Committee on Government Organization that initiated the investigation. So that, that all began with, with vehicle records, of all things. It, it led to the $32,000 couch that we've, all, that we've all now known to be famous. But it, it actually was kicked off by Chairman Gary Howe when he ran our Committee on Government Organization in, in the House. So who... Let me go off my script. Who finds the red flags then under your uh, new proposal? Uh, is it that different that, I mean, is it just uh, the, the Speaker of the House and the Senate President that says, well, maybe this, there's a problem over here in commerce, or maybe there's a situation in forestry, uh, or is it within the committee? Because it's a, it's a small committee. There's not a whole lot of people on this whole legislative auditor staff. The staff is, you know, you look at Wayne State University did a, a review of all the legislative auditors, uh, organizations in the country, and, and they thought understaff was a big problem with the one in West Virginia. So it, it's really important to understand how the, the entire process works, Randy. So the, the red flags, okay. so to speak, as you're describing them, are one source of work, we'll call it work, activity that the Legislative Auditor's Office undertakes. But, but a, a, a companion process that really is, I would argue, even more important is the ongoing periodic auditing of function that we do as the legislature of state government. And that that turns out to be where a lot of, we'll call them red flags, if you t- to use your term, are found. It's the regular periodic review of what's going on across the government, and it, it, it's the, the kicking of the tires and the turning over of the rocks in the regular course of business that, that lead to a lot of the things that we're finding here. That's, that's actually what led to the, the finding of the $32,000 couch and all the things that we uncovered in our, our judiciary, unfortunately, a few years ago. That, 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 that's seen today, looking back on it in hindsight, as a waving red flag, but it actually began as a routine audit. Do you get concerned with transparency and, and what the public is going to hear? I mean, we see in legislative interims post-audit reports, and you're going to hear mm-hmm. about A, B, C, and D, and here was, here's what might happen. Yeah. What are your concerns? Well, at least in the House version of the bill, it removes the requirement uh, for those reports. It removes the requirement that the auditor's office uh, present their findings uh, to the public. Another concern I have is it removes the requirements to follow the uh, the generally accepted governmental auditing standards. I don't, I don't know why would we, we would remove the standards that are peer-reviewed uh, from from the you know, job duties of this office. They should uh, stick to what is peer-reviewed and generally, you know, like I said, what's generally accepted from auditor's offices. That's very concerning. Your response? Well, sure. There are, there are different kinds of audits, Randy, require different kinds of standards and require different kinds of investigative practices that go into the overall operation. So a, a financial audit, for example, may follow what, what accountants call GAAP, generally accepted accounting practices, whereas a performance audit that's based less on financial metrics and more on performance standards may follow the Government Accountability Office standards, for example. So I don't think we can say that one set of standards is the the the, the 
the, the, gold, the gold standard, if you will, for any particular kind of audit because that, that may not be applicable across the various range of audits that this office performs. It's not, it's not purely a financial auditing arm, and it's a, it's a mistake to think that all they do in that office is just look at numbers and financial metrics. They look at performance audits, they look at personnel audits, and each of those kind of audits requires a different standard. And then how does the, if there's problems that are solved, how does the investigation arm then work? What do you mean, how does it work? I mean, okay, we, we see that there might be some problems with, with oh, let's see, I, I remember one with the Department of Highways where people weren't being paid off properly. Sure. Uh, 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 subcontractors and such. Mm -hmm. uh, how does it get followed up then? Sure. So when, when, we, when we receive a report, our, our Committee on Post Audits meets usually monthly, but anytime we have interim meetings, we have a Post Audits Committee meeting, and they'll receive reports at that time from our Legislative Auditors Division highlighting findings from one of their most recent, one or more of their most recent audits. Sometimes the agent, in fact often, the agencies are right there in the room to, to hear the reports at the same time we do. They're given the opportunity to respond and to come forward and talk about what they either have already done in response to the findings or what steps they'll take to implement improvements to the process and sometimes it requires that we act as a legislature that we that we introduce legislation to to correct a problem in statute in the most egregious of cases there can be referrals to our what we call csi our committee on special investigations okay. which is a criminal investigative body delegate if you had your druthers what, what would you rather see i'm not sure what the problem is that we're trying to address here this office has been as a, has been operating the way it has for 30 years and they've done some good work i, I brought up the investigation they were part of the investigation in the supreme court most recently i believe they were they were the ones that un covered the miscalculations from the tax department. It cost five of our gas producing counties over $30 million. Um, my fear is when you remove the standards, you remove the, the requirement for, the, for them to have peer reviewed standards, that we could wind up with a system where it, the leadership and the legislature uh, presents the, the outcome that they want and say, go find the facts to back it up. Um, like I said, I, I, I respect this speaker, I trust this speaker, but a less scrupulous speaker could weaponize this office, a less scrupulous president could weaponize this office, and we could wind up with something that not just protects our friends, but punishes our enemies. It's a dangerous, dangerous precedent. Some other things that this Wayne State University uh, look at nationwide at all the uh, legislator auditor's offices found was that the West Virginia legislature has no real role in oversight of state contracts which are in the hands of a separately elected executive. Is, is that problematic that we don't have a hand on contracts? Well, it's, it's part of the, the, the widening of responsibilities, Randy, in this bill. It's, it's, the, it's the kind of expansion of jurisdiction that would allow these kind of investigations to be done in the event that we find facts that support that kind of investigation. So you're right to point out, and the study's right to point out, that review of state contracts in West Virginia now rests with the Attorney General. So the Attorney General's office is charged with reviewing all contracts. The, the language says, as to form. So in other words, are they, do, are they in compliance with the parameters set out by the legislature for what the form of a contract should legally be here in West Virginia? But we, we have examples of, of contracts that should have been caught by someone in the course of the everyday performance of auditing responsibilities and auditing duties. Whereas if we're just on a schedule of periodic review of agencies, so if we do Department of Agriculture this year, then DNR next year, then DEP the following year, and Department 
Department of Arts, Culture, and History the next year, it's easy to, it's easy to not catch the, the, to use your term, red flags that show up. Um, one other thing, Delegate Pushkin, that they talked about in, the, in this uh, review of performance at Wayne State University was um, a fire alarm approach. A relatively small staff of the legislative, legislative auditor's office means West Virginia legislature performs audits by prioritizing problematic agencies that have not been recently audited. A fire alarm approach, does that concern you? Well, what concerns me is just putting in statute that we're removing any kind of semblance of independence. And, and like I said, we could be looking for a set of facts to back up a pre predetermined narrative. Uh, that bothers me. Another part of this we haven't talked about is that completely putting under the uh, authority of, of the Speaker and the Senate President any kind of outside agencies that would be that would be hired by the auditor's office. So it could oh. be whether it's agencies that happen to be political contributors. I don't know, but it'd be giving uh, who determines. Basically, it's made it more political. If we want it to be apolitical, then add the two minority leaders to the, uh, to the decision-making process as well. I, I see this as a, really as a partisan power grab. Could there be conflicts of interest as well with the Speaker of the House and, and the President of the Senate when it comes to uh, auditing a certain place that you may have a conflict of interest with? I, I, no, no, no conflict of interest beyond what we have in practice today, Randy. So we, we operate like this as we speak today, and I think it's very important to, to recognize that the legislative auditor's office sounds like something that audits the legislature, right? If you just see the term legislative auditor's office, it sounds like something that audits our operation, when in reality it, it doesn't audit anything that we as legislators touch directly. It audits the executive branch. So this has passed the, the Senate and it will come over to the House. Uh, where's your bill stand right now, just in the last 10 seconds we have? We'll likely take up the Senate bill since it's already been received. Okay, so that's what we're going to take a look at. Nice. So this discussion will continue in both the House and the Senate. Chris, back to you. Thank you for spending this time with us. Catch the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting covers the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our public news site at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and Senate on the West Virginia Channel. I'm Chris Schultz. For everyone here at WVPB, thanks for joining us and have a great evening. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward.